In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece from the Wildfire book, Igniting the Fire Within. Did you know that I am hitting the road and taking our book baby on tour? Last month, I kicked off the tour in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I was in town for the Young Survival Coalition Conference. Now, over the rest of 2023, we are crisscrossing North America to hit five cities and bring the book to life with the writers from the book who live in these cities. To find out where we're going next and how you can join us, be sure you're on my Hot Flashes newsletter list. You can join the list by navigating over to wildfirecommunity.org or by visiting the link in bio on my Instagram page. Over there, I'm wildfire underscore BC underscore magazine, and I look forward to meeting you. All right, on to today's story. My guest today is Gretchen Stelter. When she wrote the piece she is about to read to us, Gretchen was in the midst of radiation, getting used to medical menopause, and in the process of relocating from the Pacific Northwest all the way over to Wisconsin. Gretchen was diagnosed at 39 with stage two triple positive IDC. She is a freelance book editor and writer, and before breast cancer and the pandemic, she volunteered with Girls, Inc. for nine years and co-chaired the Safety and Security Committee for Thriller Fest, which is a conference for thriller writers. Now, she resides in Madison, Wisconsin with her partner, Henry, and their cat, Ifen, named so, she says, because he is always in the middle of things. Hey, Gretchen, welcome to The Burn. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And yes, I, I think I'm actually hidden from Hyphen. But if you hear a, a meow, I, I apologize because he, he, he does like his attention. I hope he makes himself known. I love that. <laughs> well, Gretchen, you're here to read a piece you wrote called Let Me Hear Your Body Talk. And as I mentioned, your essay is out in our new book now and was originally published in our 2022 cancer culture issue. So after you read, we will chat. And those of you listening, as always, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Gretchen, I'll let you take it away. Great. Thank you so much. Cancer. It feels like a four-letter word, but not in the fun way. Uh, Not in the way that makes you want to drop it into a conversation, but more in the way that as soon as you do drop it into a conversation, people gasp and stop talking to stare at you. I've never been one to shy away from cuss words. I cling to those articles that say swearing is a sign of intelligence. I cringe when I drop an F-bomb on the phone with my mom, yet I still do it. Also, why do I cringe? She's definitely where I learned some of those words. I get a little thrill when someone I've just met feels comfortable enough around me to cuss as well, partly because it makes me feel like I've found a kindred spirit 
and partly because it makes me feel like they could sense I'm non-judgmental and I wouldn't care. I've also never really been one to shy away from more difficult topics. You want to talk about how much money we all make? Great. I'm a full-time independent book editor who has to discuss money at least once a week, so that's not an issue. I've had people disclose incredibly personal things not long after meeting me, so if you want to talk about assault or abortion or any number of situations many feel uncomfortable with, I'm your girl. Even death? Fine, I can handle it. But then June 2021 came along, and during my first ever mammogram, they found breast cancer. Well, they told me they were pretty sure they did that day. It wouldn't be until I got the notification in my email that I had a new test result in my chart that I found out for sure, which is a whole other horror story. But in the days that followed, while I navigated my emotions, not my thoughts, I had no coherent thoughts during that time, just raw emotion about my diagnosis, I didn't talk about my cancer. At first, it was probably self-preservation more than anything. If I couldn't even articulate my emotions to myself, why tell anyone else? Or rather, what would I tell to anyone else? But also the questions people start asking are deeply daunting. No, I, I don't know what stage I am yet. No, I don't know what surgery I'll need. No, I don't know if I'll have surgery or chemo first. And even though I'd never been through this before, I somehow knew, knew that I didn't want to even think about the answers I had and those I didn't, let alone share them. I didn't want to talk about this. This was too tough. This was a topic I'd never discussed before, and I had no idea how to discuss nor any desire to learn to discuss it. As a woman, my body in general had been a topic of discussion for decades, though normally I was a passive listener in said discussions, blushing or feeling ashamed depending on who was doing the talking. Before surgery, I'm currently post-op and pre-radiation, I had large breasts, a 34i at my biggest, which was right before my diagnosis. I'd struggled with my breasts since I was 13. Truthfully, I'm not even sure you could call it a love-hate relationship because I'm not sure I ever loved them. They made people, men and women, sexualize me, and the attention they brought was almost exclusively unwanted. Even if a boy or later a man I liked was drawn to me because of them, did I want to date someone who was only drawn to me because of them? Hard pass. Suddenly, here I was at 40, a woman who volunteers with young girls and has those hard conversations with them, who has done sexual assault victim advocate work, and who prides herself on being able to talk about all the stuff others won't. And it occurred to me for the first time that I couldn't talk about my own body. At least, not in a non-hateful way. Negative body talk I was familiar with, especially when it came to my breasts. And suddenly, it seemed unspeakably cruel that this body that had done so much for so many years had only ever received my scorn. And if talking about it lovingly had been hard before, it now seemed impossible. How could I praise a body that had betrayed me in this way? But as I came to terms with my breast cancer and started having answers, triple positive IDC, at least one positive lymph node, chemotherapy first, surgery would depend on my genetics, I started to want to talk about it. A lot. To anyone who would listen. My partner, my friends, my mom, my doctors and the nurses and physicians assistants, my fellow patients, survivors and thrivers, my social media feed and anyone else who was feeling lonely and isolated and scared because they had this diagnosis too. Or maybe they didn't have this diagnosis, but a similar one. 
or maybe they just didn't know how to talk about illness or their bodies. Or maybe they did, but wanted to know what a friend or a loved one with this diagnosis might be going through. And I didn't just want to talk about my cancer, but also my body and other women's cancer and how they felt about their bodies now. What menopause symptoms were they dealing with and how were they handling them? What surgery did they end up getting and were they happy with it? What was their relationship with their bodies before all of this? It's become clear as I've navigated all of this that many people have no idea how to talk to someone about cancer. The slew of people who immediately tell me they know someone who died of breast cancer makes this evident, as does the number of people who say breast cancer surgery is a free boob job. We also don't talk about a lot of things that have to do with women's bodies. The default in medicine has for centuries been men, so things that are well-known don't always apply to women. A few notable examples being heart attack symptoms, outward manifestations of autism spectrum disorders, and pain med dosages. It's even worse for any woman who isn't cisgender or white. Beyond that, society sexualizes women's bodies before simply recognizing us as humans, as is made clear by people being offended by mothers breastfeeding their children in public or claiming that young girls' shoulders need to be covered up instead of making it clear men and boys need to stop looking at girls as sexual first and foremost. Four decades into living, the last two of those decades full of tackling topics that many find hard, breast cancer is teaching me how to talk about my own body how to talk about women's bodies and health, and how to talk about cancer and other illnesses with real compassion, and how to do that without my own body image issues, making that talk negative, without the heavy history of misogyny weighing me down, and without my own fears, cosmetic and mortal and everything in between, silencing me. Mm. Gretchen, so powerful. Thank you so much. I really am excited to chat with you about this. So let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will discuss. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, I'm Becky. I'm from Ontario, Canada and I was diagnosed with stage two triple negative breast cancer at the age of 38. I've tried so many things to help me cope with and make sense of my cancer diagnosis, but nothing compares to putting my story down on paper and sharing it with the wildfire community. Okay, welcome back. Thank you so much for the love, Becky. Gretchen, turning back to you, thank you again for your essay. Thank you so much. It was, um, it, I, 
I read over it before we got on. So I, you know, was remembered everything, but then reading it out loud there, I, I almost, I almost started to cry. <laughs> I could hear it in your voice. And isn't that interesting how, I, I don't know, it just hits a little different when you read it out loud or just, you know, with everything else that maybe is going on in your life today, you know, it's going to hit a little different. It's just storytelling is so interesting in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's partially also just like the fact that I'm I'm very aware of the fact that I am sharing it, you know, when I'm reading it out loud, uh, you know, to you, um, especially um, it, it's that it's that moment where I know I am I am being seen and I am being heard um, as opposed to just sort of reading it to myself and going, oh, yeah, I remember that. It's like now I'm I'm it's confessional almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That really resonates for me, too. I hear that. Well, I appreciate you doing it. It's a, such a powerful and important piece, and I'm really glad that you wrote it. So thank you. God, thank you. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, you know, when I was reviewing your essay and then, of course, hearing you read it now, it's really coming forefront again, but just all the different ways that our bodies are objectified and, you know, coming to terms with that. And it made me think about the fact that a cancer diagnosis is another type of objectification because it's all about the body, right? And it has very little to do with you as a person. Not that we want our doctors necessarily to not look at our bodies as objects when they're, you know, addressing the cancer within, but just wonder how how this this new layer has kind of landed with you with regard to that. Um <laughs> It's been, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I was, I I was so big, uh, large breasted before before cancer, and in the end, um, because of my genetics and my age, and you know, doctor recommends and recommendations and all that, I did decide to just do a um, a partial mastectomy on my left breast, um, on on the cancer breast, on the <laughs> objectifying myself here too, <laughs> on on that one. Um, and then, so I did have to get a reduction on the right. So, so they are, um, similar in size and, um, it was really interesting because even when I saw my, um, radiation oncologist for the first time and disrobed in front of her, she, her first comment was how large breasted I was. Mm -hmm. And, um, she later apologized to me uh, after she kind of, you know, we got to know each other a little bit better. Um, and then she realized, you know, I told her how I dealt with body dysmorphia when I was younger. Um, and she was like, I am just I'm just horrified that I that I that that was the first thing I said. Um, but it was. Um, I don't know, it just it, it sort of brought home even more that like it wasn't a sexual objectification, of course, because, you know, it was just it was just sort of a. Uh, an observation, really, but it was one that um, reminded me that I that you know uh, medicine objectifies us um, as well, and it um, for healthy reasons, you know, in a in a way, you know, it's like you know you know we want to we're going to treat the whole patient, of course, but we have to treat the diseased part, we have to treat the, but it's um it starts to feel a little. Um, I don't know, Frankenstein-y almost, and, and a little um, barbaric in some ways that, you know, we have to look at it as just this, just this one thing that we have to cut away from you. 
Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's, um, I don't know what that all comes down to as far as how I'm dealing with it other than it's, um, it's jarring. It's barbaric. It feels aggressive. Um, but not in the same way that sexual objectification, of course, had felt for many years. Um, it's almost like I've traded one sort of objectification for another, but again, it is healthy in some ways because it is, you know, we are still treating the, um, treating the disease or at least trying to, and trying to make sure it doesn't come back. Uh, I just found out earlier today that my oncologist here in Wisconsin is recommending I get my ovaries removed. And it reminded me of the scene in Era Brockovich when Marg Helgenberger's character set finds out that she has ovarian cancer after having had breast cancer. And she says, if you have no breasts and you have no ovaries, are you still a woman? Um, and I just thought, there it is again that you know we're thinking of it mm-hmm. in terms of like these organs and these body parts that make us who we are and so you know i i really i don't know how i'm responding to it other than wow it's still just like a hot mess of things to try to to try to work through it truly is you and you're making me think of um you know my experiences of living in my own body and the collision that came with with cancer and i remember feeling I remember noticing when I was bald and, you know, looked sick, how people's eyes would kind of slide away from me. You know, probably Mm. they were really looking at me when I wasn't looking at them. But when I was, you know, walking down the street or looking straight at them, I became kind of what I felt was invisible. And, And same when I decided to have a unilateral mastectomy for a while, I felt like instead of receiving unwanted gaze that I had, had my whole life, all of a sudden I felt totally invisible, which didn't make me feel great either. Like it was a really strange feeling. Yes. It's, it's been quite the, uh, it's been quite the blow to my ego almost. I want to say, you know, in a strange way, it's like, I don't want to be objectified as I walk down the street, but also I'm being ignored entirely. I mean, like you said, I, oh, I had, I had that feeling so, so intensely when I was sitting in, I was sitting in the waiting room just at the breast center in Portland, Oregon, the day of my surgery. And it just so happens that like they, you know, where they do all the mammograms and everything, you know, you go in and and to get the, I had to go get a wire inserted. So they got, they made sure Mm -hmm. they got the tumor. Um, so that had to happen where the mammogram, where, you know, people just go for mammograms. So I'm sitting in this waiting room with tons of people who were like just there for, you know, their their yearly mammogram or what have you. And I got the such distinct impression that people's eyes were skating over me as they probably thought. That's what I don't want to be. I don't want to be that person. You know, I'm sitting there, no, no eyebrows, no hair. no, And I just and I. I got just such an intense feeling of like, I, I am the story that you don't want your life to turn out like. And it was so sad and so lonely. And um, I was just sitting there and I, I was just trying not to cry to make it worse, you know, um, because every time I looked up, I did catch someone looking at me, but they quickly looked away. Um, and I am still feeling that way a lot. And I don't know if it's because I feel like you know, my, my hair is growing back quite, quite well. Um, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a hairdo I have never had before. Um, it's, you know, very curly, which I, I don't know how to deal with. And it's also much shorter than it ever was before. Um, and I feel, um, remarkably unattractive these days. It's Mm -hmm. just, I think, you know, just because age and the cancer and I mean, everything, you know, so it is, I, I walk, I walk through places now and I think, 
you know, no one is looking at me and there's, there's a freedom in it. And there's also a, a, a depression in it. Really, there is, there is quite the blow to the ego. It's sort of like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm really not attractive anymore, which is just a whole other thing that, you know, medical menopause and everything is making me feel anyway, because <laughs> yes. yeah, that'll dry up everything very quickly. It's, it's true. Yes, I can relate to that. But it's so, um, I just to go back to what you said about how lonely that feeling can be when you feel like you're suddenly a cautionary tale or some kind of poster for what, you know, could happen or, or the worst case scenario. And makes me really think about our um, our fellow community members who are living with metastatic breast cancer, you know, and find themselves feeling that way, even within a breast cancer group, you know, like, am I the, am I the thing that you don't want to be or the worst case scenario that I think we have some work to do on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that way. Um, you know, I had, uh, someone who, I mean, I don't, I, I reached out to her on, um, Instagram, uh, recently because I, I don't think she even, you know, knew I existed that I was, you know, following her, her story mm-hmm. because her story was happening right around the same time that mine was. Um, but so I never really commented or anything, but I definitely checked in on her page a lot for for that feeling of, you know, camaraderie, for the, for knowing that I wasn't alone. Um, and then she just recently got a, a metastatic diagnosis. And um, so I did reach out to her. But I did, I did have that, you know, I do have that knee-jerk reaction. And I don't feel proud about that. But it is sort of like, a, you know, it's that scary... It's that scary thing. It's you just immediately go, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I, what can I do? What can I do for this person? And also, you know, it's scary. It's just, it's so scary. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's probably similar to what a lot of people thought when I first got diagnosed. And a lot of friends who just didn't know, didn't know what to say. And I think yeah. that's part of the, the, you know, what my, what my essay was about to a certain degree was that like when I did mention it, Literally, you know, there were gasps and stares and like, what do we what do we say now? And I feel like, um, like you said, there's a lot of work to be done within the community, because I think that's what a lot of survivors and people with um, diagnosis, diagnoses that are not stage four kind of, you know, go say when it is someone does say I am stage four, I'm at a, they go. Hey. And then it's, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know. We don't have the language or the the knowledge to really be there for them and ask the right kind of questions and say the right sorts of things. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with educating ourselves about what they're going through and yes. and you know and all of, all of that. Um, educating ourselves, you know, what what prognoses that kind of that is these days and and what that treatment. You know, I know that some people talk about how like, oh, I, I'm never going to get to ring the bell. You know, like this is mm-hmm. for, for my life. This is what this is um, for the rest of my life. And I just um, I don't know. I've met a few women who are stage four who are and who just inspire the hell out of me, who I, I just, you know, I I'm it. just yeah. so floored by how amazing they are. And so, yeah, it's definite work to be done. Like you said, it's um. Yeah, it's that feeling of just um, scary, giant question marks. (laughs) Well, and I think a lot of it probably comes back to, you know, kind of the core of our discussion, which is that I'm more than my body. I'm more than my diagnosis. You know, I'm more than whatever's written on, on, you know, my chart. And 
we need to peel back those layers and continue the work of getting to know each other on that really personal level and really seeing each other, seeing what we're going through. And as you were talking, I was realizing that a lot of us grew up in this time of reality shows and talk shows. I'm thinking of Jerry Springer talk shows and stuff from my, (laughs) you know, early um, high school years. And I'm thinking about how we we've made these stories of other and we've made this whole culture around like, well, at least I'm not like her or him, you know, and absolutely we need it's hard to rail against, I guess, when we've been raised on it. But I think that's happening in the in the cancer community and women do it to each other. Um, probably men do it, too. I just don't have, you know, firsthand knowledge of that. But <laughs> right. it's really pervasive, you know, as I'm I'm <laughs> We're probably not going to solve it, Gretchen, in this 30 minutes uh, episode. But you what? know, yeah, no. it's just uh, it's really, really rampant. Yeah, it, it is. It's um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I actually volunteered with Girls Inc. is because because there is I was I was raised very much in the sense of like, you know, women are competition you know women are there and and I gotta say that the one one of the things that I've learned that I learned even before my cancer diagnosis but was that like the loves of my life are women yeah they're my friends the female friendships that I have have held me up through so much have seen me through so much have have just made my life immeasurably better and everything that it is and for me to, you know, think of another woman as competition or, oh, well, or at least I'm not her, or at least I don't, yeah. you know, behave like this or what is just, it's just heartbreaking. And, um, and that was, I'm, I was so happy to have come to that conclusion and then been able to start, you know, volunteering with Girls Inc. and helping young girls, you know, realize that they don't have to look at their bodies this way. They don't have to look at each other this way, but also... There is, especially like then with my cancer diagnosis and whatnot, there's still so much work I need to do, you know, like just on myself, not just like we need to do as a society. It, there are still so many things that I'm like, oh, no, I'm st- I still there's still a knee jerk reaction to certain situations where it still does that. And instead, yes, we just need to open up the discussion and stop looking at people as their diagnoses or or their, you know, their their health at all, their weight, their, you know, their, and just start seeing people as as people instead of, and it's just, uh, like you said, we're not probably going to solve it right now, unfortunately, but, but the fact that we are talking about it and that, um, that, that it has come, our conversation started with the essay that I wrote, that makes me just immeasurably happy that, you know, the, these conversations then are taking place, um, at least in some, communities and in some situations, um, because that's, that's really what's gonna, gonna help us finally get there, I hope. Oh, exactly. Well, and building empathy through, you know, the storytelling and through being vulnerable, being transparent, and just sharing, you know, how we're learning to live, you know, on this planet, I think really helps each other um, find a way to live themselves. That was a weird way of saying that. But, you know, I think our stories are helping each other figure out how to live, you know, and how to how to walk through this this planet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I've always loved books. It's what you know, it's it's I have just always loved reading because you can it's the closest you can come to experiencing 
someone else is by is by listening to and witnessing them telling their story and and what their reality is. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's something I've always loved. Some you know from the age when I first started reading. <laughs> so absolutely. Well, and I want to I want to come back to your essay and come back to this idea of not wanting to be as transparent rather and not wanting to be as open. You know, you were kind of in the the cancer closet, I guess, at the beginning. And I've heard from a lot of people that it wasn't actually I should back up and say I feel like there's kind of like three different camps. Like some people get diagnosed and they're they're very like, you know, open and and living it out loud and on their social or wherever they are it's it's just part of what's happening to their life so they're sharing it and then i think there's other people who um don't at all like they need time and maybe this is you they need time to absorb it and to understand what it means and what what they want projected or not and then there's some people like i think i was kind of in the middle i i like being open i like you know, sharing my experiences so I can understand from other people. But at the same time, everything we just talked about, like I didn't want to be reduced to that diagnosis. I didn't want that to become my entire identity. And so I'm just curious, you know, you talk about talking about your body being this thing that you had a hard time doing, even though you were so comfortable with other taboo topics. Was the body, was the cancer kind of that final frontier for you? Are you a complete open book now or have you discovered there are other layers that you're you're becoming comfortable with maybe i feel like i am i'm <laughs> i'm definitely an open book in a lot of ways um anyone who meets me i think would be would say i'm an open book um i i think i definitely come off that way i think in reality i take some time a, a lot of the time to process things privately before i live out loud um, I just, uh, I think there is a tendency for us just as humans generally to want to try to fix things for other people. And so we, or, or to relate to other people. And so I think that is why people say, you know, oh, my, my sister died of breast cancer. You know, I don't, I don't think it's to be mean or to scare someone. I think it is to say, I know what you're going through in some small way. Um, and I didn't, I I didn't really want any of that. And I didn't want the, oh, you know, what's your diet like? And all of those types of, you know, I didn't, I wanted the time to process myself before I had to start, I think, playing defense a little bit with with other people's reactions. And also there there was definitely at times I felt the, I felt like I ended up reassuring other people. <laughs> And, you know, it's like other people were so shocked and so upset by the fact that I was diagnosed with cancer. In the end, I ended up reassuring them. <laughs> it was like mm -hmm. I and I kind of knew that that was all going to happen. Um, I think possibly because I was sexually assaulted when I was younger and I have worked in, you know, peer therapy groups. And also as you know, I, I currently I, I answer phones at the Rape Crisis Center here in um, Madison and, you know, so it is it is something I can talk about, but it's not necessarily it wasn't something I that was super easy for me to talk about at first. Yeah. So I think that's really what it comes down to for me is that at this point, yes, I I I can talk about a lot. Uh, I, I haven't really found the topic that 
that I shy away from anymore. Um, but it but it often will if it is something that I'm dealing with currently. Sometimes I will still hold back a little bit before I start to say, okay, now I'm going to share. Um, but again, I think the whole, I think partially because I have loved storytelling and reading so much from a young age, um, it's, uh, it's easy for me to sort of start to share, you know, on social media and that sort of thing after I've done my, my private processing, because I do know the power of, of being able to tell someone, you know, you're, you're not alone, even it is, even if it's like a small thing, even if someone is just relating to, you know, oh, my, um, you know, I had the same feeling about my body, you know, when I was a teenager or whatever, even if it's not a cancer diagnosis and all of that. Um, I think it just, I know that sharing can lead to someone else going, oh, thank God I'm not alone. Um, and the power of that is infinite, really. Yeah, it really is. And you're making me think about my own process. And I definitely write before I share. And it's just I don't think it's necessarily conscious for me. It's just the way that I work through something. But if I've written it, I can usually then talk about it. You know, it's like it's put it in a different part of my brain where it's like, okay, it's not as as raw anymore. It's not as um, scary anymore. Like I've done some of that work to, I don't know, take the teeth out of it a little bit. And I think that's important. It makes me think about what Brene Brown talks about with the, you know, vulnerability hangover. And I do find that some people, you know, are so open booked. I just coined that phrase, by the way. <laughs> I so love it. I'm going to use yeah. it from now on. But they're so open that, um, you know, sometimes they're processing in real time as it's coming out. And I think that sometimes it works great and sometimes it can can really um, backfire a little bit. You know, like you discover you weren't ready for all those questions. Like you said, like, tell me everything. What did you eat? So I know not to eat that thing. So I don't get that thing that you have, you know, and you're not you weren't prepared for that kind of response. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, and I think that uh, we possibly have similar ways of processing because that's that's sort of it for me. You know, if I if I write something down, I have figured out in some way how to articulate what I'm thinking and feeling about it. And the best way I can describe like the first week, maybe two weeks of my cancer diagnosis was I was in a bit of a fugue state. I was I was in I had emotions that I couldn't really tease out into like the singular like oh this is what I'm feeling right now it was just I was feeling all of them mm -hmm. and so it wasn't something that I could easily articulate at that point and therefore it was not something I wanted to discuss <laughs> I, I didn't want anyone else's articulations or uh, just knee-jerk reactions to put too much of an imprint on me I wanted to just be able to figure it out myself but I actually I you know I had a, a an experience earlier this uh this week, actually, someone I uh, know and love got into a car accident and they were fine, but it really, really freaked them out. And 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 he was processing, I think, in real time when I was speaking to him and I said some things that he, um, you know, really did not like. <laughs> and and I totally understood, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, I didn't I did not mean it that way. I meant it in in this way. Um, but he was like, you know, like you said, he was processing in real time and he was still very much feeling the heightened emotions of everything. And yeah. so, um, you know, it was it was a difficult conversation. And then a couple hours later, we were able to come back to it and he was able to sort of say, you know, I get what you were saying. I'm sorry. 
but yeah, I think that's, you know, I mean, that it describes like, you know, fights <laughs> we have with loved ones in a really, in a, in a good nutshell, you know, it's like we're in the heightened emotion of something and we're not able to articulate exactly what it is yet. And then someone else layers what they're thinking on top of it. And it's just really easy to go, no, you're wrong. <laughs> that's not what I'm feeling. Um, that's not how the situation is. Um, so I think that might be part of it too, is that I have learned, I've, I've learned, um, both probably some degree how I was raised and my family and whatnot, but also because I do love words and I've learned through therapy and whatnot, um, you know, to sort of stand back a little bit from, from those heightened emotions when I can, so I can start to tease out, you know, what, what is the, what is the most important emotion here and how is it affecting me and how do I want to deal with it and how do I want to approach other people about it so I can go about this in the healthiest way possible <laughs> instead of just right. like arguing with people or, or or exploding my own um, emotions on them and making them deal with them before I even know for sure what they are. Yes. Yes to all of that. And I love that you you mentioned, you know, arguing with our loved ones. And it made me realize that my husband and I have figured out after, you know, a lot of marriage um, that we have to kind of retreat to our own corners, our own separate rooms and text about it at a certain point because just continuing to like word vomit at each other isn't working. But if we both start writing, then it kind of I don't know, it does something to kind of calm it back down. There's the economy of words, right? Like, I'm not going to say everything in text mm -hmm. that I maybe would accidentally say out loud. Like, it just turns out to be a really good tool for for not only helping me articulate what I'm feeling, but also putting that filter, you know, in place too. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah. My husband and I, we have often emailed each other after a there fight you go. From, from just like the other room. <laughs> really. Yes. This is actually what I was thinking, you know, it's like, you know, it's hard to, yeah, in the, in the um, moment of heightened emotion, it's hard to step back. Um, but yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely written and received the, we just had a fight email, uh, right. just, you know, and he's like 20 feet away, but it's like, mm, I don't think we should do this face to face yet. No, I, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful tool. And one that I wish I would have known before, cause I, you know, I work worked through, I remember, you know, having conflict with my family as, you know, a teenager and as a young person. And I remember pouring thoughts and feelings into journals, but I never thought to actually write them a letter or maybe, you know, put into words some of what I was trying to say. And I don't know if they would have received it well anyway, but writing is such, such a powerful tool for helping us relate to each other just as human beings, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I mean, I found I found you and wildfire through Instagram. And I just also I have to say that, like, I, I know that social media does so many things that are not that is not good for us. And, you know, but but I don't know if I would have gotten through the main part of my treatment and my, you know, the last couple of years um, as healthily as I have if I didn't have the ability to articulate and share uh, as I do on Instagram. You know, it it. I end up, you know, trying to be concise so I can fit it into the caption. Um, but also I try to, you know, really hone in on what it is that like I'm feeling in that moment. And it's just been it's been tremendous to have have people who I consider, you know, soulmate friends who I've never met in person because we have found each other through Instagram and through our shared experience 
And um, it's just it's just such an amazing community that I've been able to find through being able through being able to write and share that in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, I mean, I, again, obviously, I'm a book editor and a writer. So I, of course, I'm like, yes, writing, but like, it's just it's just been so amazing for me, specifically to be able to have to find that community and find the kindred spirits and, and find the people who God, it's just it's always so amazing when someone writes to me and says, you know, I read your essay or, you know, I found this post that you wrote and, and oh my God, I just feel exactly the same way. And thank you so much for sharing that. And it's just, I feel like that moment when the Grinch's heart grows too big and it like bursts the the thing that measures it, like that is how I feel whenever I get some sort of someone reacting like that. Well, this is a really great segue because I wanted to ask you where people could find you. So let's bring you more people who um, <laughs> who need your stories, who need to connect with you. Where where can people find you online, Gretchen? Um, on uh, on Instagram, I am editor Stet um, because people you pronounced my name right, which was amazing. Thank you so much, um, Stelter. But for years, when I was growing up, people thought our name was Stetler. Uh, and then they just went with it and they called us Stet. My my big brother, my older brother was Big Stet and I was Little Stet. And then when I got older, I found out Stet is actually an editing term that means leave it as it is, which I thought was amazing. So I am editor Stet on Twitter and on Instagram, um, just Gretchen Stelter on, on Facebook. But I do also have a, my professional, my work page, um, Gretchen Stelter, writer and editor, and then also GretchenStelter.com is my work, is my work thing, my work website, uh, but it has everywhere else you can find me too. But mainly I share my cancer stories and whatnot on Instagram. That's, that's my go-to for, for, for sharing everything that I'm going through with this process. So. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I feel like we could sit here and talk writing and identity and objectification and fighting with you know people in our lives and emailing them afterward we could do it all for hours and hours but unfortunately our time has drawn to a close so Gretchen thank you so much for joining me here today for reading your beautiful essay and and for this discussion I really appreciate you and it thank you so so much for having me uh, this is just um the, the Grinch heart growing again like it's 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 meant so much to me to be able to be part of the community in this way so thank you thank you so much for having me you're so welcome. Absolutely. Well, today's writer and guest was Gretchen Stelter. Her piece was called Let Me Hear Your Body Talk from the February-March 2022 issue of Wildfire Magazine that we called Cancer Culture. And I'm April Stearns. You've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 40-plus issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Finally, here is your writing prompt. 
I want you to set your timer for eight minutes, right without stopping or editing as always. The prompt is, let me hear your body talk. I'm taking this straight from Gretchen's essay. Let me hear your body talk. What would your body say? Take it body part by body part. What would your legs say? How about your neck? What stories does your hair have to tell? Eight minutes, write without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.